This is Marilyn Monroe Radio, the only broadcast brought to you from the heart of Tinseltown, where we will revisit, re-examine, and reminisce about the life, films, career, and even the death of Hollywood's most beloved star, Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Samantha McLaughlin. Marilyn Monroe Radio is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please subscribe, download, review, and share this and other episodes with your friends. In this episode, I interview the intelligent and charming author, Donald McGovern, of Murder Orthodoxes, a non-conspiracist view of Marilyn Monroe's death. You are in for a real treat. We cover a lot of ground in the nearly three-hour interview, which I trimmed down to only two hours. We cover the top conspiracies and the characters that intertwine with them, all the juicy details. At the end of the interview, which is divided in approximately two parts, I will give my summary at the end. And I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are on Marilyn's untimely death, regardless of your views, because in this house, everyone deserves to be heard. And with that, everyone should also listen to both episodes, because I do want to hear your thoughts. Here is part one of my interview with Donald McGovern. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Donald McGovern to the show. Welcome, Donald, if you can tell us a bit about yourself and your book. A little about myself. Well, I'm uh, I'm 71 years old, or soon to be 71 years old. I'm a retired architect. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and sometime in 2012, I became a, uh, I don't like to say it, but I guess I, it's honest, I became a Maryland obsessive um, and started reading a lot about her. And I initially had a website dedicated to her her movies and her acting. And I had promised myself I was not going to get involved in her death and all of the many theories and stories about that. But I did, and it kind of sucked me in. And starting in, excuse me, 2013, I guess, is when I really started investigating her death relative to the many biographies and pathographies that have been written about her and allegedly what happened to her, who killed her, who murdered her, and so forth. And now let's go dive in, just let's go head first into JFK and RFK, your theories, their love affair, in quotation marks. Well, I don't really have any theories. I just, it's pretty clear that Marilyn and John Kennedy did not have a long-term affair. There's absolutely no evidence to support that. Obviously, they had a one-time encounter in March of 62 at Bing Crosby's uh, estate. At least we know that they were together one night uh, during that weekend, but there's no there's no evidence, real evidence, supporting anything other than that one encounter. Uh, she sure. testified to uh, Ralph Roberts and Susan Strasberg that that was her only encounter with John Kennedy. True. Um, they were in the same place for different times, but, you know, it was at a gala or, you know, just 
they were at the same place. Excuse me. I could only confirm three times, actually, that they were actually together. Um, the first meeting, I think Donald Spoto said that they had their first meeting in February of 60, 62 or 61, I forget, but I couldn't confirm that meeting. There's, it was never dated, and there's no way to actually know uh, if they actually met. And when I looked at John Kennedy's calendar, his, his appointment calendar and his uh, desktop calendar for, the, for this time frame, he didn't go to the West Coast at that time. I think they, their first meeting was at the uh, party thrown by Fifi Fell in Manhattan. Well, they met, they met at the birthday celebration, and then they had that one encounter in March at Bing Crosby's estate. But those are the only three meetings between John Kennedy and Marilyn that I could confirm. So your feelings on the, as you stated in the book, that they did not have a long-term relationship, whereas I don't believe it either. She knew what she was getting into, and she never was having this great grand idea of becoming the first lady. I never saw no, that. That's a, no, that's, that's basically a myth. Uh, in fact, she testified to Susan Strasberg uh, that she didn't have any desire whatsoever to, to have a long-term relationship with a man like John Kennedy. I think yeah. she knew all about John Kennedy and oh, um, yeah. his propensity to womanize and so forth. Mm-hmm. And she really wasn't interested in that kind of relationship. Well, I think she found his attention to be exciting, uh, as almost I think any woman would if the president is interested in you. But uh, beyond that, I don't, I don't think she had any, any, any intention to have a long-term relationship with him or to become first lady. No. No. Portray Marilyn as a you know, lovesick puppy and couldn't be Wrong. further from the truth. <laughs> no, it no. um, yeah, wasn't that. I know, I know. And then they also tried to link her with Robert Kennedy, which I, I just find that distasteful. Well, there's no evidence whatsoever that Robert Kennedy and Marilyn had anything other than a friendship, a platonic friendship. They met four times, three times at uh, Peter Lawford's house or his B-side, beachside mansion, I guess I should say. And then once at the uh, Madison Square Garden uh, birthday celebration and fundraiser. And that was it. He, he, he came to Marilyn's uh, house, her hacienda there on Fifth Helena. Uh, the last time they met, he came to pick her up with uh, Pat and Peter Lawford. And I think a lot of people have taken that particular visit to Marilyn's house and really distorted it but they met four times in virtually the same time frame that she met John Kennedy three times. What about the helicopter? Um, well, how, how in-depth do you want me to go? Go for it. <laughs> well, the helicopter began with uh, Norman Mailer. I mean, in his sort of uh, faux biography, he suggested that Robert Kennedy departed Los Angeles after Marilyn had been murdered in a Marine chopper that left from a helipad at uh, Peter Lawford's house. Well, Peter Lawford's house didn't have a helipad. Whenever a chopper came to Lawford's house, it landed on the beach. The whole, the whole chopper thing is, 
is really kind of uh, odd because I don't believe there's any way Robert Kennedy ever came to Los Angeles on August the 4th. There's pretty, pretty compelling evidence that he never left Gilroy, California. So that's where I, I put the helicopter as just another myth. He spent the whole week end with uh, the, the John Bates and his family in Gilroy, California. Your take on the conspiracy of the coroner and what you call the Rosetta Stone and the cast of characters that follow. There's, there's um, a long list. Well, where do, you, where, do you want me to, where do you want me to begin? Let's, let's begin with the doctors, shall we? You go into detail with, which I, I thought was really great, how much, you know, the medication she was taking via, you know, oral as opposed to injection. You go through that in um, detail about the hot shot and on page 429. Well, I um, think Marilyn's autopsy proves with, without any question that she was not injected. Yes. There's, there's no question that. in my mind about that. She was not injected. No. It also disproves the theory that Ralph Greenson injected her in the heart. That is a totally ridiculous assertion. Uh, her autopsy proves relatively conclusively that she was not given an enema and she was not killed with a suppository. That was um, a lot of John Minor. I interviewed him for several hours. He he was adamant about had his own fetish with that. Who was this Minor? John Minor. He was he was yeah. uh, in attendance during the autopsy. Right, he's the fellow who created the alleged uh, transcription of the tapes that Marilyn allegedly made for Dr. Greenson. Uh, yeah, I've heard about those too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Never heard them, but yes. Well, they don't exist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the other reason. <laughs> you can't hear them because they don't exist. <laughs> They're they still working exist. on it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, John Miner's no longer with us. He, yeah, he was... He was pretty compelling at the time, you know. I was really young. I recorded everything they said. He and uh, Robert Slatzer, Bob Slatzer, writing everything down. So I had access to them whenever I needed to, especially with Slatzer. I have years and years and reams and reams of papers with interviews. The progression was from, you know, I believe every word he says to, hey, wait a minute, and then complete liar. Well, so, he's a... He's a He's a fraud, oh, for sure. The one of the worst. And I think I think Miner basically was motivated for the for a need for money. Yes, as most Everybody. of these people are. When I when I started looking into that report, started reading about a uh, field of study known as pharma, pharmacokinetics, which deals with how the human body affects drugs, not so much about how drugs affect the human body. But what does the human body do to the drugs, okay? And when you are injected with a, a chemical or a drug, most of that chemical or drug stays in your, in your bloodstream and circulates through the body before it gets to the liver. But if you swallow a pill, is absorbed by your stomach and your intestines, it goes directly to the portal vein, and it's taken to your liver where it undergoes what's known as first-pass metabolism. So when, when, you, when you're injected, 
the drugs do not go directly to the liver and they are not subjected to first-pass metabolism. They eventually get to the liver where they're metabolized. But when they're swallowed, they go directly to your liver and they, and particularly with barbiturates, particularly Nimbutal, they undergo a high level of metabolism. So what you would have in a state where you, you have swallowed the drugs, you would have more drugs in your liver than you would have in your blood. Whereas if you're injected, it's just the opposite. So in my opinion, that proves really beyond a doubt that Marilyn swallowed the pills that killed her. She was not injected. Now, if you're given a suppository, a certain portion of the drugs go to the liver and a certain portion of it go to the systemic circulation. In my opinion, it appears to be about 50-50. But if Marilyn had been given a suppository uh, as described by Chuck Giancana in his book, Double Cross, she would have had still more of the chemical in her blood than she would have had in her liver. So none of it really, really fits with what the autopsy showed. Not only that, his, his autopsy, Noguchi's autopsy, indicated that there were fecal matter, there was fecal matter present in Marilyn's colon. Well, if that's true, how could she have been given an enema? Mm -hmm. That contradicts that assertion that she was killed with an enema. And then you get all of these crazy uh, theories that she was injected, then she was given an enema, then she was given a suppository, and none of it really fits with her autopsy. The, the organs, according to Noguchi, uh, after Abernathy did his toxicology reports, and there were two reports. There was an original report and then an updated report sent on the 13th, which included several things, but he believed, Abernathy believed, that his testing so overwhelmingly pointed to suicide that no further tests were necessary. Now, Noguchi admitted that he made a mistake by not insisting at that moment, or when he sent the, the uh, dissected organs to Abernathy, that they be tested. But when he called Abernathy to find out what had happened to them and could they still be tested, Abernathy told him that they had been destroyed. And it was As a part of the days. coroner's office uh, normal operating procedure. They yes. just didn't save the organs. Yes, at that time. That's true. So um, it wasn't really any big cover-up or no. anything like that. It was kind of like a, an error of omission. And Noguchi admitted that he was wrong not to do it, but I personally don't believe that it would have made any difference. I don't think testing those organs would have stopped people from speculating that Marilyn had been murdered. Because even, even then, the rumor and the innuendo has already, had already started. But the assertion that Marilyn was injected is not supported by her autopsy. And of course, that was the, that was the murder method pushed by um, Slatser that she had been injected. Yes, yes. One of the many. When some don't stick, he just kept trying. And then <laughs> the, uh, he, she was going to have a press conference uh, the you know, that next, very next day that she was murdered in the Red Diary. So he, 
he tried a, a lot of different uh, angles. Well, the press conference and the Red Diary are just a, a, a Red other myths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're other myths. Yeah. Slatcher started both of them, really. Yeah. Um, I suppose Frank Capel actually began the the uh, theory that Robert Kennedy and Marilyn were involved. Robert Kennedy had promised to marry her and then recanted, which angered Marilyn. She threatened to expose him, and that's what led to her murder. There was no red diary in the realm of Marilyn until Slatzer's book appeared in 1974. It was not mentioned by Capel. It was not mentioned by uh, Norman Mailer whose book is also basically a, a, a novel. Yeah, Mailer is, it's like a 13-year-old boy's fantasy book. Same with Ted Jordan, yeah. which well, was even Jordan, worse. Jordan's book is absolutely disgraceful. Yes. Yeah. My, I actually got that for Christmas one year for my daughter, and I'm like, Did you really? oh my gosh, thank you so much. I I can't wait to read this book because um, I read the good, the bad, and the ugly. I read them all. That way I know well, what they're read, saying. Excuse me. I've read uh, about 120 books. Um, not all about Marilyn. I read some books that were sort of associated with all of, all of C. David Hyman's Kennedy books, uh, I read Carlos Aruz's autobiography. Do, do, do you, you know who he is? That's the guy that, that Slatzer claimed Mar he and Marilyn celebrated their, their anniversary in Tijuana with Carlos Aruza, one of the most famous matadors in history. And when I read his autobiography, Marilyn is not even mentioned. And Aruza was, was actually in, in a few movies in his lifetime. Slatzer's book is a complete uh, fabrication, at least relative to his alleged relationship with Marilyn. I'm not saying everything he said about Marilyn was necessarily wrong or a lie, but his relationship with Marilyn was, was made up. And, yes. the, and the imputation that Bobby Kennedy was involved in Marilyn's murder uh, and basically ordered her to be more murdered, came from Frank Capel's pamphlet. He lifted it all from Frank, Frank Capel's yeah. The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, that was his roadmap of what to go off of, and he just catapulted from there. He, yeah, he and Milo Spiriglio. Spiriglio is interesting because he actually wants you to believe that um, Giancana actually killed Marilyn to protect the Kennedys. That angle. Which is, mm -hmm. which is completely illogical. You don't know. You weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Donald. <laughs> no, it's illogical. <laughs> now, um, the mob hated the Kennedys. I'm thinking you're really a cheerleader then for Jeannie Carmen? No, I have a section <laughs> on Jeannie in my book. Yes. And uh, I think she is a, uh, she's an interesting person. I will say that, uh, but her book is just filled with uh, myths. Yeah, I met her several times. Did you and, really? Oh, yeah. You know, her. she just went with the Fred Otash, and then she glommed on to Slater, and they were chummy. So then they, you know, 
got their little notes together and they started, you know, the circuit around, you know, well, here's August what I, and June. Here's what I find revealing about Slatzer and Carmen, okay? Jeannie Carmen, who alleged she was Marilyn's best friend at the same time, Slatzer was involved with her and married to her, supposedly. But Jeannie Carmen doesn't appear in Slatzer's first book. And Jeannie Carmen doesn't appear in Ted Jordan's first book. And neither does Slatzer. So how could these three people who allegedly knew Marilyn and associated with her regularly, almost constantly to hear them talk, how could they not have met each other? Yeah. That's certainly an ill an illogic and certainly an impossibility. And if they were great friends, why didn't Marilyn arrange for them to meet each other? I mean, yes. it's just, it's silly. It's just silliness. Well, they never expected the internet to happen, I believe. Oh, that's because... a lot of things, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That has, you know, blown his case right off the map because, you know, we know we have receipts. Marilyn was here on this day. How could she be in Tijuana? Yeah, and she was in L.A. on October the 4th. Yeah. In 52, yeah. Yeah, so he, all of that just comes to light with her receipts, basically, because she had so many in her filing cabinets. Thank goodness. It kind of cleared her name with people who do the work to research to know that, you know, no, she wasn't with him. This is not a real thing. This never happened. But it's been so, you know, ingrained into the story that, People believe it. Well, it's hard to fight fifty-year-old, fifty-year-old uh, uh, myth and all the lies that have been told. Yeah. Uh, but but you, your you know, book, he, this is just a textbook. I mean, if anybody is interested in her death, even just the slightest, they need your book. I don't know why it's not out there more, and people aren't talking about it more. It's very a very well-written book. Well, it's thank you. I appreciate good. it. Well, the second edition has even more information in it because of all the documents I got from Cal State Northridge about Fowler and Slatzer and Capel and all of their involvement and um, how that whole situation developed. And it's clear when you, when you look at all of the notes that, that Fowler kept on the composition of that book that it is strictly a, a fabrication. It was put together for for one particular reason, and that is to come on the heels of Norman Mailer's book, capitalize on his success, and that's that's what it was all about. It's just discouraging that they can print anything they want. When 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 you write about the dead dead people, there's nothing that can be done. I know they can't fight it, and you know nope. a lot of things came up after Joe died too, the selling of stuff, but. Uh, with the well, you know. mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, you know, it's like when you read guys like David Hyman, and then you you look into Hyman's reputation. I have a chapter on him or a section on him, yeah. pretty lengthy section. And he was another person who who really trashed Marilyn, the Kennedys, uh, particularly uh, Robert. I mean, his book about Robert Kennedy is really shameful. But that's what sells. I mean, he, he was a successful celebrity biographer, and I guess the salaciousness of his books is what people wanted. I think that's what they told uh, Robert Slatzer 
was, you know, if you were married to her and a, a little light went off and he just, he ran with it. Well, according to, according to Will, uh, Will Fowler, he, he mentioned to Slatzer sort of in passing that it would have been too bad that they hadn't been married. Then they, then they would really have a good book. And what Fowler said that, um, after he was well into writing either the first or second draft of that book, I forget which one, but that's when Slatzer approached him and said he had forgot to tell Fowler, but yeah, they were married, but only for a weekend. You have a chapter on uh, Greenston and you do talk about her journal practitioner. Well, I don't know that I have any theories about that night, except that they're, they're, Greenson's behavior was certainly unprofessional and rather odd when you stop and consider how much access he gave Marilyn to him and his family. He virtually adopted her, um, which it, from, from what I've read, he was, he was roundly criticized during and roundly criticized after uh, Marilyn's death. That, that's just something therapists were not supposed to do, which was get so, so involved in their patient's life or their client's lives. And he got involved in Marilyn's personal life and her professional life. Um, I, don't think, I don't think Greenson had anything to do with Marilyn's death in a nefarious way, if, if, if that's what you're asking me. You know, there's the theory put forth by Jay Margulis and Richard Buskin, the um, shot in the heart theory, that he actually killed her. And I don't buy that at all because it just isn't supported by any of the evidence. Correct. No uh, bruising near the rib cage or, you know. No, nothing. No nothing. major. I mean, a hole in the heart, um, the needle's pretty, pretty big. They wouldn't miss <laughs> that. In the well, not only that, James Hall told Ronald Carroll that Greenson actually busted one of her ribs or cracked one of her ribs. That yeah. certainly would have been apparent. And when you read Gucci's autopsy, he, he palpated all of Marilyn's bones, her ribs, except her legs, her arms, so forth, and there were no fractures anywhere. How could Greenson have broken a rib without Gucci knowing it? Correct. The amount of medication that her internist gave her there's quite a list and she was you know fully stocked well they prescribed for her i believe if i'm remembering correctly over the last few months of her life almost 800 pills yeah that's on page 469 uh, a list of prescriptions yeah many 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 prescriptions um mm -hmm. almost as bad as uh, the, the uh Dr. Nicopolis did for Elvis Presley. I mean, he grossly overprescribed for Presley. Yes. As did the man who uh, overprescribed for Michael Jackson. Yes. Um, I think if that had happened today, if Marilyn's death had happened today, those two doctors would have been brought up on charges, certainly yes. for overprescribing and maybe even negligence. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, negligence, because one... Greenson really, I don't think he was, you know, well-versed in prescribing medications. 
And then, you know, on top of not knowing what her internist was doing, because they weren't in communication. Well, not I mean, only she that. she was getting I'm, it from both sides. Yes, and I believe she was getting it from other places, too. I think she was getting sure. it from, uh, what's the fellow's name, the doctor at uh, Fox, Lee Siegel. I think that's his name. But at any rate, the point being, she had many, many, many prescriptions at her at her bedside. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Donald Spoto called Maryland's medicine cabinet like having a pharmacy. It was so full of drugs. Yeah, I could see her hoarding them just in case. Well, not only that, she was Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. let's be honest, she could get whatever she wanted from whomever she wanted to get it from. Yes. That's just the facts. Now, with Greenson, I, I don't believe he was her lover. Nah. No. That, once again, comes from the John Minor tapes. And other I, people have alleged that they've heard these mysterious tapes uh, that, that have never appeared. And as far as I'm concerned, never existed. When you read the memoirs of uh, Otash and um, the other fella, whose name I can't recall right now, the other eavesdropper, uh, what is his name? Bernard Spindell. You know, Slatzer referenced Spindell a lot in his book about these tapes, and then they appear again in Slatzer's 1992 publication, The Maryland Files. But uh, none of those tapes have ever been heard except allegedly the DA's office when they did their 1982 uh, threshold investigation. They talked to some people in New York about those tapes that, that claimed that they heard them and none of those tapes had anything on them about Maryland. But then if you read, if you read um, Summer's book, and you follow his line of reasoning about the tapes, and then you really pay attention to what his witnesses say, it's all second and third hand hearsay testimony. Neither Summers nor any of his testifiers ever heard any of those tapes, except one that Summers presents as an anonymous witness, which I personally have all kinds of problems with, with anonymous witnesses, particularly when it comes to Marilyn, and even more particularly when it comes to her death. You just no. can't accept it. You just no. can't accept it. No. I mean, it's, it's safe to come out now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, what damage are they going to do? Everybody that was involved with the exception of Pat Newcomb yeah, very, is gone. Very few. And her sister, I believe, is still alive, Bernice. Uh, yeah, she just had like her hundredth birthday. I think. I know. <laughs> yeah, they had you know they had good genes. Her mom lived forever too. Now, yeah, I so think you... if Marilyn hadn't succumbed to her suicidal thoughts, then I think she probably would have lived a long time. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned to the next show for when we'll have more about our favorite icon. Until next time, cheers. Thank you.